Welcome to Take a Wonder with Shebs, the show that features some of the biggest travel bloggers, TV and radio personalities and journalists from all around the world. Each show aims to take my guest on a wonder and uncover topics that may not be discussed on their platforms or in the media, whether that's the state of travel blogging and journalism as it is today, or whether there's enough diversity within the industry. Perhaps what impact technology and social media have had on content creation, or in general the impact of current affairs on the industry. I also try and find out the journey behind each individual's success, as this is more important to me than the actual travel. I sat down and spoke to Drea Castro. Drea is multi-talented. She is a producer, actress, documentary maker and photographer who is passionate about travelling. We talk about her work and how she incorporates travel with her busy schedule and why travel means so much to her. Hi Drea, how are you? It's great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. I know you've got a very busy schedule, so thank you for coming on. So for people who don't know you are, just explain briefly um, your description, I would say. For me, I do a lot of stuff in front, of, in front and behind the camera. I host uh, the travel podcast called Roaming the Earth. I'm also a former host of LA Fashion Week, as well as an actress. But behind the camera, I'm a photographer and a content producer, and I am also a documentary film director. So yeah, I do a lot of different things. <laughs> so since we are talking about travel today, I'd like to find out where the initial love for you for travel came from. I am an adventurous traveler. I love to climb mountains or go to places that most people probably wouldn't go to. Um, and I think that's always just been a part of me because I remember when I was like seven years old and looking up at the top of a mountain in New Jersey, there's not that many mountains there, but there's the Appalachian, you know, the Appalachian Trail. And I would just look up and I'd want to climb that mountain. I Something inside me just wanted to get on top of there. I didn't know how, I didn't know like why because none of my family members really did any of that stuff but something something inside me just needed to climb <laughs> and so eventually in life i ended up pursuing that love much later like in uh, after college and stuff but that that i just remember just being like i need to go there and i remember looking at photographs of ansel adams and looking at mountains and and just being like, I want to go to this place. This is magical. Like Yosemite, where is this? You know, and being like seven years old, eight years old, looking at this like book and just wanting to be there and not understanding why I wanted to be there. Because again, it wasn't something that my family really pursued, you know? So I don't know. It's just innately in me. You live in the United States, but your family originates from, is it the Philippines? Yes, yes. And I actually was born in the Philippines, and I came here when I was really young. Uh, how old were you when you moved across? I was like four, four so years do you, old. So do you remember much of the Philippines? That, that, I, I assume you don't. I, I do, actually. I remember okay. some of the Philippines when I was young. Like I have like very, very a few memories. But then actually every summer we would go back you know, um, from middle school on through high school, 
I started going back every single summer and, and I went to high school there for a year, actually. So you've experienced both the United, well, the American culture, I guess, the Philippine culture as well at the same time. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I guess that's very important when you're growing up and then getting a bit of perspective on, I guess, your your parents. Obviously, you are Filipino as well, uh, that type of culture. So when you move across to the US, you've got both, both worlds, best of both worlds, really. Oh, yeah. And it definitely changed my perspective on life in general. You know, going to school in the Philippines really, really made me realize that there was this other world that was going on, not just in the States, you know, like in the States, like we're living our lives. Like a lot of times you don't realize that there's like a whole nother thing Um, just because of our culture. We're kind of just like caught up within the American culture. Meanwhile, there's this whole other world that I just got opened up to, you know, like this is, you know, the Philippines and this is the kind of food that we eat. And, and, you know, we live a different, it was just very different. It's a culture shock for anybody that, you know, would come from, uh, from the, the States. At a young age, I guess, do you get a sense of a feeling that this is what your parents went through? And obviously, you said you went to, to school. Do you, do you, I guess, the appreciation of your family's lineage in the Philippines? Do, did you understand that at, at the age, or I guess, of when you moved away from 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 Philippines at the age of four? Hey, mom. I don't have a good relationship with my mom, so that, that's that. That's the whole. That's. Let's preface it with that. However, there are certain things about her that I appreciated. Like she was very, very. It was really important for us to stay connected to our culture. We spoke Tagalog, which is the main Filipino language, um, at home, and we ate Filipino food, and it was just it was just a part of who we were, even though we were, you know, here in the States, we were assimilating. We were also very, we held on to our culture. So I do appreciate that uh, about her and just wanting for us to be connected to home. And so whenever we would go home, it was like home. There was this thing that I just felt like, yes, like I lived in the States, but there was also this dual life. And I think I still have that to this day where it's like, I feel so connected to the Philippines, especially when I went to school there. My mom, my mom was trying to scare me. She, she had me go to like uh, a public school and public schools there are not nice. You know, like you want to go to a private school because they're rough. You know, they're not, they're not like our chairs and our desks were like, kind of like, not great. Like everything about it was just the complete opposite of an American education system. But I loved it. I ended up loving it. And I ended up having friends till now that I talk to on a regular basis. And they're, you know, it's it's just a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother perspective that I just really appreciate. And it feels like home when I'm there. It also feels like home when I'm here, but I'm, I have this dual life that goes on to this very day. So <laughs> We know you mentioned, obviously, you do quite a lot of great stuff when you were into the world of acting. Uh, what was your education in then, I guess, towards the highest level? The bachelor's degree in theater. Actually. Oh, okay. I was supposed to go into like musical theater and I did 
directing and stage managing. And I thought that was going to be my trajectory. Um, I always have had my hands dipped in the creative field. Always. Like even in high school, like I loved singing. Like I was always a singer when I was like very, very young. And I thought I was, I thought I was going to become a singer. And then one day my friends asked me to audition for like a, you know, musical. And I was like, I don't act. And they're like, no, no, you should. And then I fell in love with it. But then at the same time, I was also doing photography. So it was just like hand in hand. I've always been in front and behind the camera. There was, it's just like almost seamless. I've always loved both. And like I said, even as a kid, I would look at photographs of Ansel Adams and just be like, I want, how did he take this photograph? Like, where is this place? How do I take this? this shot, you know, and it's just so strange, like, always just loving that creativity, storytelling. I don't know how it works in, in, in Hollywood. Does it, did you have to get yourself an agent? Did you start auditioning for roles? Is that how it works? Okay. So, uh, when I was in college, um, like I said, I did directing and stage managing. So I didn't know what way I was going to go, but I knew that I was going to go into the entertainment field. I thought it was going to be theater, (laughs) you know? And so when I, and that's why I was in New York, you know, I lived in New Jersey, I worked in New York and I actually, uh, interned for a manager, a talent manager, and we're still good friends. His name is Albert Vermont. Um, he, he taught me what happens behind everything you know like how to submit for things and headshots what they should look like and he was just starting out his agency at the time and now he's like huge um but he he taught me the very basics and from there i had a manager because of that you know he represented me uh and i also went into starting my own theater company and i had a theater company that did off um off off broadway shows and I ran that for like I did like three different shows and then I was like I hate this <laughs> like I don't ever want to do theater ever again this is so crazy um these are long hours for very little reward and I just don't want to be around people for like months on end <laughs> like the same people for 12 hours like and that's when I decided that I wanted to do film because that's like quick you don't have to you know, be with them for the next two years of your life if you're doing, you know, a show. And I just, I just left theater. Like it literally turned me off to the theater. Producing theater turned me off completely to it. Did you sell it all completely and just say, thank you very much? I just was like, bye. Like, you know what I mean? Because I was the one throwing the shows. I was putting together the shows. So without me, it wasn't anything, you know, like it wasn't going to be anything. <laughs> For you, you actually love the traveling aspect of it. So, so where did that all sort of start for you then? What, what once you started acting? Not a, like actors don't usually travel too much. Like sometimes they do, you know, usually you're in Los Angeles. That's where you're shooting your thing. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel from time to time, but it's definitely not a constant. Um, the first time I ever traveled solo was um, I got flown out to England, <laughs> to the UK, 
for this show called Masterclass. And they had, this was back in 2000 and, ooh, 2007, 2008. They flew five different people out, um, five different women, five different men, so 10, uh, and some were local to England, so not everyone flew. Um, and we, they were all in a house, and we, all, we, all, we were all um, competing for a role in a film, uh, a leading role in a film. And we were the finalists out of everybody in the world. <laughs> so that was the very first time I ever flew. And I remember just being so confused, not knowing what the heck to do. And just loving meeting all these different people. And again, those people in that house are still my friends to this day. Um, there's a whole drama to that whole situation. Uh, because it ended up like falling through because like the director started sleeping with the girl. Anyway, long story, but you don't even want to hear that. There's always like weirdness in Hollywood or in filmmaking, but that's basically where that went. Um, it was this big whole shebang. We were getting photographed, like press was doing stuff. And then it all went down the drain because of that whole situation. Ah. Hollywood. I guess obviously when when you when things like that happen uh, for your career actually uh, does it really open uh, does it open up your eyes in the industry because I assume you're quite young when you went tra- went to England for the first time. Yeah, I was uh, like 22. 22. So uh, at that, that age, you're still sort of getting to grips with, I guess, life in general, aren't you? And at that age, you're quite vulnerable, uh, as I can remember anyway. But um, you, do, you mentioned, obviously, solo travel. Is that, is that what you do now, a lot of solo traveling, or do you go with anyone? I definitely go with people. I'm definitely not a solo travel, traveler anymore. Um, but I just... I just remember how valuable that was, how powerful it was to kind of travel on your own. And there's been moments in my life where I have, and it's just, it's a whole nother thing. You have a lot of time with yourself. You got to really love yourself. You know, you end up having to really fall in love with yourself and be satisfied with who you are. And I think that's the importance of solo travel for sure. So it's very valuable. And if I could, I would I would probably do it more, but I'm always like bringing people along. People always want to go with me. And obviously I'm with someone so that, you know, like, it's a whole thing. But maybe I'll take a solo travel trip one of these days. Your love for travel has grown over time. You've been to many places. I guess what, what does travel mean to you then? He's asked this question and I've never actually thought about it for myself. Okay. I think. Travel means adventure and an exploration of a new place and also myself. Um, Travel means finding myself when there's so much noise uh, in the real world or where I usually am. Travel is my release and, and the ability to find myself again. I guess it evolves, doesn't it? That the, the reason behind your travel will always evolve. So, and the reason why I asked you that question because you, 
your love for it. You started a, a podcast as well called Roaming, Roaming the Earth. And well, you obviously you ask people questions about their travels. So h- how did that begin? And why do you feel as though it's important for you to get people to tell their story? It all began because I broke my foot. <laughs> Uh, when 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 did you break when did you break your foot? This was last year. Oh, okay. In the middle of the pandemic, um, actually the very beginning of it, I I've always wanted to do a podcast, but I just didn't, you know, I didn't have time. I didn't have, you know, the reason to. And obviously, in the middle of the pandemic, we just <laughs> we couldn't do anything. But what made it worse is. I was walking down the stairs in the middle of the night. I went to the bathroom and I was like, I gotta go to the bathroom. I hate going to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Um, and I, I have these stairs and mid step, I fall asleep. <laughs> I fall asleep and I break my fifth metatarsal and, um, <laughs> it would crack and I screamed bloody murder. <laughs> and then I, uh, I broke my foot. And so I couldn't move. I literally couldn't do the things that you would do during the pandemic, which is bake, redo your house, like do all the physical things that you usually don't have time to do. I couldn't do any of that. I had to sit down. And so this was an opportunity to feel a connected to other people, learn from other people. And then in my head, feel like I was traveling and I literally decided that I was going to start a podcast. And within like a week and a half, I had my first interview. (laughs) And I just like did it, you know. And I think that if you know who I am, if I have my mind set on something, I'm just going to do it. Like I'm not going to like, take my time to do something. I'm literally just going to like, all right, I'm going to do this thing and then just start it. And that's just like, that's just Drea at the core of (laughs) who I am. I hope your foot's now back to sort of normality. Yeah. You've got it back. I, no, it's interesting because with your profession, I, I would have thought you would have gone in with, I guess, a podcast on acting or, you know, how to get into the world of acting or the, the Hollywood world, uh, but you decided to do travel. So 100% I could have gone, gone down the other route, but I got to say, I love acting. I love directing and producing and creating content and stuff, but even on my Instagram, I don't have my work on there or my acting, you know, sometimes I do, but really like what I'm most passionate about, the core of who I am, I find, like I said, I find myself when I travel, like I can get lost in acting. Acting is hard. Acting is not easy, um, and directing and producing not easy. They're they're labors of love. You gotta be really passionate about. It. You gotta like. It's just a lot of noise, and there's a lot of that comes along with our industry. And so, for me, the best moments of my life have been in the middle of nowhere where it's super quiet or I'm meeting somebody that, that has like, you know, in their life have changed a whole generation or like 
just learning from someone. Like I do a lot of documentaries when I'm going to travel. I usually like to travel with a purpose. And um, that to me is so fulfilling and it feels like I'm grounded again. And so it's not that I don't love acting. It's not that I don't love the entertainment industry. I love that. But that's a lot of noise and it's a lot of like other things that come along with that. Traveling is pure, you know? Traveling is pure. It's like this very um, go down to the simplest of things. I like to travel adventurous. So I backpack, I hike, I climb, uh, and it becomes sh- where do I go to sleep? Shelter, food. Uh, I need to, you know, one one foot in front of the other. It becomes about the most like simplest of your needs, and there is no more noise. And that's why. I focused on that because that to me is like the purest form of myself. <laughs> I find like Rhea without any other things, you know. Amazing to hear that even with a profession like what you've got and you're, you're I guess it's, it's the creative world, which is, which is fantastic. You still felt as though that, the, you know, your, your experiences whilst traveling was greater uh, and you wanted to show that and because you spend a lot of time i know uh, especially there's a new, new app that's come out called clubhouse you spend every week three hours a day hosting a uh no, sorry three hours uh, per week hosting a, a group there obviously the podcast itself so the i guess the energy that you give to the world of travel and getting people to tell their stories is admirable the method and the way you do your photography, and I guess with any of your uh, content creating and your producing and filming, uh, is it making sure you take it right the first time and not having to rely upon post-production? I used to think that way when I had a film camera. <laughs> you know, I started in the dark room uh, when I took photography classes yeah same same here it was always the dark room so you yeah. you know and, and as i said you, the teacher would tell you you know you got 30 yeah. fil- film reel you know rolls. yeah 30 rolls yes make yeah, sure 30, you take yeah 30 shots make sure you take it right the first time so sunsets make sure you get it right so, you know sunrise or and that's the thing like i've kind of moved with the digital world i definitely like if i'm taking a shot i take probably three different uh, exposures. I'll combine those. I'll combine those exposures so that it's closer to your eye. And I definitely think about the photograph. Like I still have those elements of like, all right, I want to take the shot. And depending on if I have that camera in my hand and I'm quickly just taking a shot, obviously I'm just going to quickly take that photo. However, if I'm composing a shot, And I'm sitting there and I'm like, all right, sunrise is happening. I want this shot from this angle. I'm like preparing for that shot and I'm thinking about it and I'm going, I'm going to take three exposures to this and combine these three exposures later on um, and I'm going to post process it because I want to be able to get, you know, like uh, exposure for me, the exposure for the sky and then my mid-tone exposure. So I'm like thinking about all those things because one photograph may not necessarily get your what you see with your eye and that's like the that's the advantage of 
current photography is that you do have the option to get that shot three times and combine them or, you know, do post-processing later. So it's closer to what you see. So it's just that to me is like, how cool is that? Because before when you take a photograph, you're like, all right, well, uh, I'm in the shadow, this person's in the shadow, and then the sky is, you know, blue, like, which one do I want to expose for? And you're not going to necessarily get what you're seeing with your naked eye. Um, Camera just doesn't have that capacity. But now you have the advantage of doing that. And that's pretty cool. But any of my work that you see, uh, especially that I post, I don't touch them at all. So I've never, I've never, uh, obviously the, the big post-processing um, equipments are out there, but I never liked using them. So I, I think I've always kept with, you know, you've, you've got that chance to just take it. So whatever you see is actually the natural photo. So I don't touch any of them and hopefully it looks okay. It's not, it's not too bad, but no, um, yeah, well, so I guess the art of taking photography has changed as time has gone on. But I would say is, I guess what I'd ask you is, have people become more, I'm not saying your way of doing it is, you know, is lazy or anything, but do you think people have become reluctant, sorry, are relying too much on post-processing and post-production? It Again, it depends. Like I can take a photograph, and it will be okay, but I can make it better and closer to what I see by post-processing. So absolutely, I take photographs, depend, like I said, it depends. If I'm, on, if I'm on the go and I'm taking quick photographs, I'm taking that photograph, I know that's the only shot I'm going to get because the person's moving fast and like, you know what I mean? There's like a difference between, like I said, uh, composing a shot and then also taking something that's like almost like a documentary shot or photojournalism. And that to me is like, you know, whatever you get is whatever you get. But I don't know. I feel like there are some people that really, really, really like rely on post-processing. I don't have to. It's my choice if I'm taking a photograph in a spe- specific way. I do exposure bracketing. So it's just, um, I'm getting all the exposures at different places because like I said, when you, you look at, especially if you're taking sunrise or sunset shots, you're not going to be able to get that. I mean, you're post-processing, you have to post-process because otherwise you're going to get a silhouette, which might be the shot that you want. And that's the way I used to shoot. But now I want to see the detail of what's in that shadow because that's what my eye sees. And I want it to be as close to my eye as possible. So you know, like I said, it's, it all depends on, on what you want to create. Um, and I think some people do a lot of post-processing. Like some people. Well, I guess social media is the biggest culprit of it, isn't it? So well, I, you don't know what you're seeing, if it's genuine or not. And oh, yeah. a lot of the time it is. Uh, in fact, I, I had this one guest who came on, I'm not going to mention who this person is, but you know, um, the the photo it was just so badly edited you know and i'm very good by that so i'm sure you're probably very similar i'm a bit like if you if you send me a picture i can tell if you've edited it or 
you know, yeah. processed it. Even some, even with the naked eye, a lot of people can't tell. I'm sure you know that. I, I always sort of say, you know, when when you go into a pawn shop and ask ask the person behind the counter, can you check to see if this diamond is legit? And they check it to see it is. I like I'm like one of those when it comes to photos. You see, because um, you've seen I've seen I've seen that many. Same thing as well with videoing as well. By the way, I can tell how because you know, you've you, I guess if you've been in the if you've done the work, if you've done it for years and you, you sort of pick it up. So, yeah, but, yeah, but I, I think the, this is where I think the money now in photography has, has gone away. I, I would love to have sort of, you know, gone out and, and made money based on my, but there's no, the money's not there really. I guess the money is now shifted towards social media and what you see on social media, I'm not too sure if, if they're genuine. I have clients and, this is not my landscape photography. I have clients. There's no, I mean, I got to post-process it. That's just the, that's the standard. Um, and some clients, they don't want to see a single wrinkle on their eye, under their eyes. They don't want to see any, like it looks like a completely different person. I had one client, and I'm not going to mention her name. <laughs> she, I edited her and I toned down her wrinkles and of course very la she was like i don't want to see a single wrinkle and i'm like if i take out your wrinkles you're gonna look crazy like you're gonna look crazy and she was like don't want to see them and i'm like all right you're gonna look like a crazy person and i i edited it and she still took it and then brought it into i forgot the program i don't know there's like a program i'm sure anybody who's listening would know this program but there's a program that completely turns in you into like a barbie doll and she looks crazy and i was like do not tag me in this photo because that's not how i took the photo and now you're editing it to look like you're crazy <laughs> so um yeah you know like los angeles clients and as you said there rightly, you don't want to be tagged into something that you've not done. It's not your work. And it's it makes it look like, I guess, it's a bit of a market. But it's, it's interesting to see. It'll be, uh, I feel as though it's not going to be coming back. It's going to be social media. This is how you take photos. This is where the money is, uh, which is a bit sad because I love the old school type of photography. What is your favorite spot that you've taken a photo at whilst traveling? I still love Machu Picchu, man. I love Peru. It's like my favorite in in the world. It's just magical. The way that the clouds move when you are there in the morning, Machu Picchu, the cloud you'll have cloud cover and then all of a sudden it'll just reveal itself because it's starting to burn off the clouds with the sun coming up and it's just I just remember that and I, I don't have like I've taken a lot of photographs everywhere but that particular place was just an energy. Did you say uh, Peru, Machu Picchu is one of your most transformative travel experiences? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's when I fell in love with adventurous travel. And there was something about it already that I just knew. I wa I've always wanted to go there. It was part of my bucket list at the time. And... Um, did you, did you hike, by the way? Did you do the trail? Did you trail the trailer? How, how did you find it? Because I, I did the same thing. I, I did the trail. I did. You did the Inca Trail. No, I actually did the Laris Trail. So that oh, one's okay. slightly. Have you heard of the Laris Trail? 
I have. I did the Salkantai trip. Right. So I know there's another one as well. So the yeah. Inca, Inca Trail, the issue I had was um, most people would have, if you're like myself who uh, books things very last minute, you have to book it six, seven, eight, nine months, uh, you know, and I and I just don't have that sort of time because I I always say anything can happen in that time period. So you book, you know, 2020 was a prime example. So I, and then when people have said, oh, you need to book things towards the, I've always done that. So Laris Trail, I still had to book that actually three months beforehand. So I was very lucky. I think I was there was like three spots left during the time period. During the time period, I went and I managed to book the the trail and for me it was like the most physically exhausting thing I ever done I, I don't know what it was like for yourself but when I reached the you know uh, I guess the, the they call it the sun gate don't they and then looking at the, the yeah looking at the beautiful view of what you see in photographs it was like oh my goodness and it was like it's a very magical moment for me so uh so i guess what, what was the trail like for yourself i guess did it really open you up as an individual same situation with with me because i think we wanted to i forgot what the salkantai trek is but it was about fifteen thousand five hundred. so it's not too far from yeah what you did and it was hard <laughs> it was so hard and i thought i was gonna die and i could barely move like i had to lay down like i had full-on elevation sickness and uh i have that problem i don't know why i climb mountains because i i'm definitely supposed to be at like sea level and i've said this before on my podcast talking to people about climbing mountains because that is when i realized like hey drea you were born on like on an island in like the Pacific. What are you doing up here? And <laughs> every time I go, I I'm the one that gets sick. And that was the hardest and highest climb I've done so far. And I was sick. And they put me on a donkey at the last. I think there was like maybe like 300 feet left. And I was like, I'm gonna die. And like you need to turn around. I'm like I will not turn around. I will keep going. I will not turn around. They're like, well, we're going to put you on this donkey because you're going to die. <laughs> and then they put me on a donkey. And I remember just like holding on for dear life. This does not have like a proper saddle. It was like not. It was supposed to be for our food. Like it was supposed to be for our kitchen. And I just remember suffering so hard. And then we get to the top and I could barely like walk. And then finally we get down from the the trek. And that, that day you're going to go from thousand five nine thousand so i knew that it was just like it was just a little bit and then we were gonna go descend and i remember like getting hungry wanting to drink water like having like my systems starting to turn on again and then me being able to like hike because i was a really strong hiker it was just my lungs couldn't catch up with the rest of my body so i had a similar experience <laughs> it's so hard but i loved it and I would I would do it all again to see that view, to experience all of that. Like I just loved it so much, and it was really, really special. So I, 
Do you know what? I don't think I suffered from altitude sickness. It was just dehydration that that day, and I wish it was. Uh, it was but dehydration is almost actually worse than the altitude sickness. And I remember the, uh, I remember walking very, you know, hiking very slowly. So there was there were pacemakers, and they were really fast. And I've got one friend actually. We we stayed in touch um, since that time. It was about five years ago, and I think she went to the second base within like two and a half hours. And it took me seven hours. So you can imagine how experienced she was when she did it. But uh, but it was more the fact that I didn't have enough. And it was just physically exhausting. So not enough water. And it was just a physical drain. Uh, so, but I think that was obviously because of the fact that there was lack of oxygen uh, as we, as the, the further, further we were going up. So. You feel it in your legs. Like if, when you go from like sea level to mm-hmm. starting to climb, you actually feel the lack of oxygen in your legs. You feel it in your entire body and then it weighs on you. Um, so I, I mean, like I said, I was a strong hiker. Like I was like, that was the problem. I was going so fast and you got to go slow because your lungs need to catch up with you. And my, I didn't realize I was like, oh, I have a headache. It started off with like a little headache and I'm starting trying to drink water. And then I lost my appetite. Next thing I know, I'm like, I got to lay down. I started taking naps on the trail because that's how altitude sickness because he starts it starts hurting like it felt like someone was squeezing the back of my neck so you got it really bad then oh i got it really bad like i'm talking like they wanted me to turn around they were like you need to turn around you need to go down this is dangerous and i was like i will not and they're like you have to and I was like no and i was like being really stubborn because i knew that it was just like a little bit more and then we would de- descend so like into the jungle so mm-hmm. it was just i'm telling you man like it was bad like i could not walk one step i couldn't drink water i couldn't eat any food i was so sick i thought i was going to throw up and like it was just like and that that's like my fear so like if i ever get to the point of like wanting to like grow up or anything like i'll hold it in and be sick and because i just i hate it so it's like i was such a mess i loved it at the same time because i would do it again (laughs) with your travels then have you the destinations that you've gone to have they've always been warm places or have you have you been to some some i guess europe is very cold during the during the winter have you been to any destinations for, for 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 the weather based on the heat funny enough i rarely go to heated destinations because i climb mountains oh of course i'm freezing my butt off but like i said i'm not gonna go to like new york is freezing Mm. i hate cities and cold right like if I'm going to be in the cold, at least let it be a mountain that's gorgeous and, you know, maybe cold, but like I've worked for this and also I'm hiking in this and it's just, you know, it's beautiful. So I I tend to go to colder destinations because I climb mountains. So like Peru is was pretty cold when I went, um, especially climbing up the South and Tetra because freezing up there. And then um, Nepal climbing around. Uh, the Everest region um, is freezing because I went in January. So dead of winter, <laughs> negative, uh, negative, like 
15, negative 15 it reached where, where we were. And that's freezing. Negative 15 Fahrenheit. So um, that's cold. Um, yeah. So I tend to go to really cold areas. Banff, Canada. I went in the middle of winter. So yeah, I, I love to be warm, but I choose to be in cold areas because of the scenery. <laughs> With my travels over the last 10 years, it's been nonstop, just, just wandering around, like free, you know, constantly on the move. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to slow down in 2020. And I didn't think I was going to slow down that much, of course. And then when I, I was lucky enough to actually did, I did go away to Turkey in September to October. So I did a month. And, and I, because I, I, I hadn't traveled for like five, six months, my traveling was a lot, I felt it was a lot better because uh, I wasn't as tired. Uh, but I think it was getting to the point where I said to myself, I need to slow down now because I think I've done majority of what I wanted to do. Uh, now, whatever I do, there has to be some sort of meaning behind it. I, I mean, with my travels, there's always meaning behind it, but it's given me that giving me more of a reason when I travel now that I want to, you know, take it in because who knows what could happen in the future. I mean, a hundred percent traveling is forever changed. I think more people are going to start traveling actually, to be honest with you, because they've now been kept in their homes. And like I said, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And now I bet you people are going to start to like, you know, once everything normalizes to the new normal people are going to start to travel and you can see it in the rise of like the airline stocks starting to rise because people are like as things are starting to open up as we're getting the vaccines people are starting to kind of go off on and do their thing i know i am like i'm planning on going somewhere um so yeah it's definitely i just i just miss it so much and Thankfully, here in the U.S., you know, there are national parks. We have such a huge country. There's so much to see. So fortunately, that's what I did last year. I kind of went and did, you know, the local national parks. And I went into the backcountry to get away from people, you know. So um, that has been such a blessing in disguise for me because if the whole situation in 2020 didn't happen. I probably would have never made it to the Grand Tetons or Wyoming and Idaho and Montana. I just, that would have been something I did later. But because of everything that went on, I was able to really explore those areas uh, in the US and it was just amazing. And I loved it and I can't wait to go back. So, you know. You just make your adjustments, I suppose, but I'm definitely looking forward to going out and experiencing a different culture again, uh, where I'm the one that's like, you know, the odd man out and I can't speak the language and I feel uncomfortable again and I try new foods again. I'm just looking forward to, to that whole experience. I miss it so much. Just ask you about um, where you see yourself, I guess, career-wise, and how you're going to incorporate more of the travel. I booked a film uh, where I play a leading role, and she is Filipino. So we were supposed to be in the Philippines and have already shot this film, uh, but now we've had to adjust and do some 
of the scenes here in LA, the interiors, but we're planning on going to the Philippines. So that's in my future for sure. Um, we're definitely going to at one point get to the Philippines or a, a country that looks like the Philippines. Who knows? Because it all depends on everything that's going on. Um, <laughs> uh, and then as far as me traveling in my career, I a hundred percent see myself continuing my documentary that I'm doing about women around the world who's overcome adversity. And I've been trying to look for different subjects around the world, trying to connect with people to see who I can, who I can interview. Uh, so I see that in my future. And I, I just, I, I love telling stories, you know, so I don't see myself stopping that. And I love telling stories in places that are harder to reach. So I see that in my future. My dream is to do documentaries around the world. <laughs> so 100% that's going to happen. You're doing documentaries, uh, is it, did you say on women? And is it on, based on travel or what is it based on specifically? I basically had this idea of just women around the world who has gone through some major adversity, you know, in whatever region, and I'm just focusing on their journey um, and how they've gotten themselves out of it. So definitely like an inspirational kind of thing. I tend to do films about underserved communities. I'm doing one on 11 blind hikers summoning Mount Baldy. I'm in post for that. And I'm almost finished with that after such a long, long time of working on that. And now this is my new project and hopefully it'll just continue. You know, I'll find other things and, and uh, continue that passion for travel and then telling stories. With the documentary, have you got a network behind it or are you going to try and pitch afterwards? I'm definitely going to try to pitch afterwards. I'm basically, for example, my one in post-production, I've been working on that for a really long time and I've gone through like the ebbs and flows of a documentary uh you know, film and it's coming to an end. And my goal is to get that into film festivals and then have networks then or whoever distributors purchase the film and then see where that goes. But um, I'm just really passionate about it. These are like my passion projects. This is something that feeds my soul and makes me feel like I'm connected. Uh, like I said, there's a lot of noise here. In Hollywood, and when you do a documentary in the middle of a field in Nepal, and you're shooting a woman, and she's telling you how she, you know, started a business despite all her circumstances, you end up not listening. You don't remember that noise, and that's why travel and doing documentaries is so amazing because there is absolutely no one that can contact me right now. I'm in the middle of nowhere, and all I'm focusing on is this woman and how she's impacting me and you know, like how her story means something. Uh, and it's just like the best. And so if I can continue that, that's like amazing. <laughs> amazing. I, I, wanna, I wish you all the best with that. I can't wait to, well, for the documentary to come out and your film as well. Listen, I'm going to let you go. It's, it's actually flown by. Uh, I've still got <laughs> tons. I could have asked you more questions, but I'm not. I can bring you back on another time. We can discuss more. So for part two. Uh, but thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And I'll speak to you very soon. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. <laughs> You're awesome. Take care. <laughs> you can follow my guests on all of their social media platforms. The details are in the description. 
That's it for Take a Wonder with Shebs. Don't forget to follow me on all of my social media platforms. Until next time, bye for now.